As you can tell from the screen, we're going to be talking about prayer today. Uh, and I think it's an important topic. It's a, it's a great honor and privilege that we have to be able to speak to God. That He is so huge. He is so powerful. He's so overwhelming. And that He's mindful of you. And that He's mindful of me. And He wants to hear from us. It just blows my mind. But I know for a lot of us, it can also be a struggle sometimes. Like, you know, do I pray enough? Do I not pray enough? Uh, you know, what do I say? Do I talk to Him like a friend? Do I talk to Him like He's, you know, King of Kings? Uh, I don't pray enough, and I feel guilty, I pray too much, I'm kind of babbling, I'm saying the same things over and over. It's just this uh, huge, vast of thoughts that can come, and I know I've struggled through some of those as well. And so while there's multiple areas of the scripture that we can dig into to really address into it, I want to look today, as we continue through the Sermon of the Mount, into Matthew 6. So if you'll get your Bibles out, uh, or if you've got your version, if you use a version app anyplace else, and have not used it here, basically... Uh, Uversion is a free app that people have on those uh, smartphones or their iPads, and you go into it, and you hit live events, look for local, local events, you'll find TSF there, you open up, it's got all the scriptures and places to take notes and that kind of stuff. So you can go either way, or if you need a Bible, we have Bibles in the back that you can use. But we're going to continue our study in the Sermon of the Mount, where Jesus is talking to literally thousands of people who are coming and saying, what's it look like to follow you? And he says, this is what it looks like to follow me. And we've gone through a couple of different sections of it so far, uh, including the Beatitudes, where we learn that when we humble ourselves before God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, our life can look different, and we can draw closer to God and continue that cycle so that we're not out on our own and getting into Funkyville, but there's power and change that comes through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And then we also talked about a section for several weeks there of what it looks like when life is fulfilled with love, when the law is fulfilled with love, when it's not just about the do's and the don'ts, but it's about the passionate heart that God has that we can adopt, that we can lean into, and how it changes everything, everything. And then last week we moved into a third section where he assumes we're rolling along with him. He assumes that we're with him. And again, at this point, if you've gotten this far, then yeah, you're saying, okay, I'm in. So he's like, okay, for those for you who have accepted Jesus as leader and forgiver in your life, for those who have acknowledged with your mouth you're the Son of, he's the Son of God, you believe in his heart, he died and rose again, you repented, which means you turned away from your old life and you're following him, these are the things that should be a part of our lifestyle and should be evident as part of our lifestyle. For those who were here last week, we talked about generosity. And you remember that he came to it from a standpoint of assumption. You know, when he started his talk, he didn't say, you know, if you feel like being generous or if you get rich enough someday that you have everything paid off so you can finally be generous. He didn't say any of those things. He said, when you're generous, because I'm assuming you're generous. I'm assuming that the impact of Christ in your life, that you've gotten that level of grace and mercy and forgiveness that you did not deserve, that you are going to be the type of people who say, oh, I can't keep this myself. I've got to help, I gotta help others with my time, my finances. My... He says, so when you do it, make sure that your heart's right. Make sure you're not doing it to be seen, but you're doing it to follow the Lord. In the same way, he's going to talk to us today about prayer. He's going to make an assumption that we're prayers, that we're people that are overwhelmed by the Spirit and want to talk to our daddy, that we need him, that we thrive for him. And so Jesus is going to speak into this, and I want to kind of just dive right into it. I'm going to catch up with you. I'm not open yet. I don't have my old glasses open. Ah, it's like I haven't done anything this morning. Okay. And we're going to jump into chapter 6, verse 5, and break it apart and just talk about some of the things that he has for us here. It says in verse 5, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, I think when he starts out, Jesus is talking about some things that they have seen, things that they are looking at that He doesn't want to be part of their prayer life. And He talks about two different groups of people that He's like, yeah, don't, don't be like this. The hypocrites and the Gentiles. And I think there's very specific reasons why He chose these two different groups. So if we start with the hypocrites, and he's talking about people standing in the synagogues and those stand street corners, generally, for the most part, not completely, but for the most part, a lot of times he's talking about, again, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the time that were very law-based, but were not fulfilling it through love, and that they would be able to get up in front of everybody and give these prayers that were just a blockbuster. I mean, just knocked out of the box. They probably sat at home for like the entire weekend, writing that sucker out, working it, learning it, getting it right down, let's get the tear right here. And they would just stand up and they'd pray and pray. I'd be like, man, I wish I could pray like them. They were just so incredibly powerful in their prayers. The problem was they had no intimate relationship with God. They had no personal prayer life. That's why he called them hypocrites. Do you see that? You know, and, and so the question becomes, and some people have taken this, I, I think, a l- little bit wrong, and you can disagree with me because you've got to find this y- yourself. But some people have looked at it and said, okay, well then, you can't pray well, which I think is, I think he's talking about the heart issues, just like he has everything else. Or that you can't pray in public, which I don't think is right, because Jesus prayed in public. His apostles prayed in public. But yet there's something here he's trying to get us, some kind of heart issue that he's trying to get us to, where he's saying if you're praying because you want men to think you're awesome, then they're going to think you're awesome, and that's great, and it's done. But if somehow, if I'm praying while I'm driving to work, if I'm praying before I go to sleep, if I'm praying in the morning when I get up, if I'm praying in front of all of you guys representing you as we pray together, if I'm praying at an event like when we did the you know, Passion of the Christ movies or the different things of that nature, if somehow, no matter how many people around me, I can put myself in a place where it's just me and God, if I can just put myself in a place where I don't care a lick what you think and you don't care what I think, we just care what God thinks and we connect with Him in a way. Because I don't know what you, I, I personally, and I think there's a place for it, so don't take this 100%, but take it 98%. I personally really don't like written down prayers. I think they have their place, but generally I don't like, I would much rather have someone praying, babbling from their heart, than being oppressive from their mind. You with me? And I think God, God's saying the same thing. I think Jesus is saying the same thing. We've got to personally connect with God. We can't be hypocrites. Well, we're doing it for sure. We've got to personally commit to Him. And then we don't have to like go on and on and on and on and on trying to talk God into drawing near to us or be taking in hearing us because according to Jesus, He's already close to us. He loves us. He's intimate with us. He has knowledge of us. See, if you look at it from the standpoint of the Gentiles, which is good because the less if you were born Jewish in the house, you and I are Gentiles. Okay, so Jesus is like, don't be like Tom. But in this day and age, they were not yet grafted in through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were not grafted into the Jewish community, the Israel community. So that's a privilege you and I have. But at this point, they weren't. They were kind of at a distance because the Jewish people, that was God's chosen people, and they would want God and everything else. So they're like, okay, he's the God, but if I just keep talking, maybe he'll heal me over here. And Jesus is like, don't, you don't have to worry about that. Not if you're at the right place. Because your daddy is so familiar with you, he already knows what you're going to ask about. You don't have to talk him into caring about you. He's already there. So in some way, something within this, it's almost kind of like, where's our heart before we even utter the first word? Are we just passionate about him? Are we in love with him? Are we dying and excited about communicating with him? 
not worrying about what anybody else thinks, knowing that he's just dying to hear from us. There's our heart in the right place. That heart's got to be there first and foremost. Now, there's a debate out there, if you're not saved, does God hear you, all this kind of stuff. I don't know. I've seen things in the Bible that I could make an argument either way, but I do know this. If you've accepted Jesus as leader forgiven your life, he desires to hear from you, wants to hear from you. Well, I already knows what I want, so why should I say anything? If you're a parent, or if you have a parent that you love dearly, you know you don't just show up and go, okay, give me the 20 bucks, you know I need the 20 bucks. You talk about life. You talk about the things that matter. You have a relationship. If you come to your daddy like that, it changes our prayer life. It's no longer do I pray enough, do I not pray enough. It's just, I, just me talking to my God. Now, there's certain things within that that I think Jesus encourages us to. If we go back into that scripture, he builds off of this by saying this. Pray then, again, assuming that you're going to pray, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And almost all of us are going to have somewhere on the bottom of your page that some manuscripts say, yours is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let me explain that real quick. Basically, the reason that's in there is that while over 2,000 years, I, I wish we had the original manuscript of every single one of these. What they would do is when Matthew wrote this, they would give it to people and they would start writing it down too so they could send it out to all the different churches. So we had the manuscripts from the first century, but as they copied them and sent them out, some of them had that line, some of them didn't. So we don't know if it was added or if it was taken away as some people took and w was copying that down. Everything else matched, it also wouldn't be in there. But they thought it was enough to let you and I and the Spirit decide when that, that line's in there. For me, I like that line. So I'm throwing it in. Okay, if you don't want it, throw it back out. I'm throwing it back in, but I like it. Because when we put it all together, I think there's some things that we can learn from this prayer. Because what I don't think, and again, you can disagree with me on this stuff. If it's Bob, you got to take it. If it's Tom, blow it away if you don't want to. But I don't believe Jesus is saying, in a law-type way, that when I wake up in the morning and I feel like talking to him, that I get up out of bed and I say, Our Father who art in heaven, how will be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You just go through this prayer and say, Okay, amen, see you. Oops, I, you know, it's about, about time to pray. I think, uh, you know, we're going to have a meal. I think I want to thank God for this. Our Father who art in heaven, how will be thy name, thy kingdom come. Okay, let's eat. You know, I don't think he's saying this is the only thing that you can say in this order, this is exactly right. But when he refills things through law, then we start seeing there's a passion here. We start seeing the spirit through this. And I think there's things that we can learn because I do think he's teaching us. For instance, like if we start out in this first section, I know all of you guys can't see all this. I apologize for that. Um, but you got in your Bible, so don't whine. Okay. <laughs> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When we look at this from a standpoint of the first century church, I just want to say this to you. When Jesus said, pray like this, Our Father... It was a very scandalous moment. It was a moment where almost everybody in the crowd just went, Oh, he did not. Why? The Israelites would talk about Father God. Fourteen times in the Old Testament he's called Father. But he's never called Abba. When they talk about Father, they're talking about a distant Father, that He's over the nation, they have this relationship between the nation and Him, but in no way, shape, or form is there that relationship between me and Him. And so when Jesus says, we ought to start by saying, Our Abba, 
my Abba. Here's basically what he said. And I know a lot of you guys know this, but really connect to this if you can. What he said is, starting out your prayer, say, Daddy, my Daddy. And to them it would have been just sacrilegious, just blasphemy to have that kind of casual conversation. But God, I remember when I was in my early 20s, I was part of a Bible study group um, of just other people all, all my age, and we would get together, and, and there came a guy for, I don't know, a couple of months who was very 19, uh, late 1980s, early 1990s, a uh, surfboard guy. Like blonde hair, long, wavy, tank top, shorts like this, flip-flops, which he hardly ever had on. And he was just very, uh, had the lingo and everything else going. And whenever he prayed, and he loved to pray, he would, he, he would keep saying, Daddy-o. Oh, Daddy-o, I love you so much, Daddy-o. You just mean so much to me, Daddy-o. You just, everything you have got to do. And everybody in the group's like, hmm, that guy's odd. And I was like, man, I kind of wish I had that kind of relationship with him. To have that kind of passion between us. He wasn't doing it for sure. He could kill us with the rest of us thought. That's how Jesus felt that moment when he was saying to you, call him your daddy. If you're his child, if you accepted Jesus as leader forgiving your life, he's your daddy. And make that mistake, he's in heaven. We're not talking to your physical father. We're talking to the guy. And you're not being blasphemous because you're saying hallowed be your name. This means holy is your name. This means sanctified is your name. And if you want to get really crazy, my favorite definition of this is like if you go to Virginia and you go to some of those Civil War places, you know what I'm talking about? They talk about hollowed ground because it was bought by the blood of the soldiers. That's another meaning for the word hollow. Bought by the blood is your name. We just sang about that. Amen? Daddy, who's in heaven, holy is your name, powerful is your name. You have bought me with your blood. I am coming into this not as the one who does not know you. I come to you as your child, expectant, needing you. A father in heaven, how be your name? And to me, and, and John's going to help me with a little bit and put this up on the screen. This is worship. And if you're taking notes, I want, I want you to write these down. This section right here is worship. I'm acknowledging God. I'm acknowledging who I am in God. I am dependent on God. This next section, as I get into it, comes to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about what you're saying. Is basically, I give up. <laughs> it is you. My way is not working. The way of the world is not working. Your will be done here. Please, God, intervene. Please, God, let it be your way. As it is in heaven, when they worship you in heaven, may I be worshiping you here. When they're submitting to you in heaven, may I be submitting to you here. When they're looking to you for every cue and direction and every word that you utter is followed and completely and fully, may we be like that on this world. We come into a place of submission. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm not a big bread fan, so let's talk about that a little bit more because it means so much more. Give us, Daddy, what we need to get through this day. For some of us, that might not be that big of a statement. Things are going good. Okay, yeah, I kind of want to remember that you're there when things are going good. Some of us, it is a plea of breath. Dear God, give me what I need to get through this day. Amen? Okay. Getting into the scripture, not scripture, on the internet, because those are two different things, just to let you know. Wow. I was doing some playing around this, this week, and I don't want to come off like Sheldon in the Big Bang Theory, but I did come across this thing, <laughs> Bazinga. 
uh, called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Is anyone smart enough that they have ever heard of that? Okay. You guys are much smarter than I am. My, and I was looking through some of the things that this guy in the 1930s was saying that we need. And there's things like you know, physical needs, breathing, water, sleep, food, safety needs, security of the body, employment, resources, family, love needs as far as friendship, family, intimacy, esteem needs, confidence, respect, self-actualization needs, creativity, problem-solving, acceptance, facts. Somehow Maslow completely missed the spiritual, so I pray for him. And then I added things like spiritual nourishment, intimacy with the spirit, spiritual direction. And I got thinking, you know, like if these are the things that supposedly we need, which of them fall under our daily bread? Which of these things do we need from God? And the answer is like, all of them, please. Everything. Everything that I need, there is only one who provides it correctly. There's only one who provides it fully. There's only one who takes it to that point where his son is okay. Might not be everything I want, but you know what's awesome? It's my daddy loves me so much, a lot of times he gives me things that I want. A lot of times he gives me stuff I didn't even know was out there. He says you don't have because you don't ask. Is there something in your life that you have not asked for that you need? And sometimes you ask and you don't have because of the motives of your heart. Are there things that you want that are outside of God's will? Because I'll tell you what, you don't really want it then. Come to a place of provision. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. One of those ones where we love the first line. Second line, not so much. But let me give you a couple things on this. We need his forgiveness, amen? We need his forgiveness. But there's something within this that is another thing that Jesus assumes that I don't want you to miss. It's not, forgive us our debts and help me to forgive that jerk down the street. It's, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. As we have. He's assuming we're coming on our knees already dealing with the hatred or the jealousy or the anger or the pain. And we can talk to our daddy about it. He can help us with this. That could be a big part of this prayer. But coming with a heart that we're following him in that obedience because he forgave us that much. We want to forgive others that much. That's tough. But just in case you missed it, if you look at what Jesus continues to say down here in verse 14... Because I almost think he thinks everybody's like me and wants to skip that. But then he takes and puts, If you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That hurts. And it's tough. And we need the Spirit to be able to do that. That's huge. Just overwhelming without Him. You know that scripture where it takes and tells you if you come to the altar and you're giving your sacrifice and you remember you have something against your brother to just leave that sacrifice on the altar and go deal with your brother and ask for forgiveness and then come back and worship? He meant that. He meant that. Forgiveness is a very serious business. Grace. Forgiveness. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Same thing. We, it's like once we kind of get in this part and we have this forgiveness... Dear God, help me not to go back because I am a freaking idiot. I keep just going back in the same dumb patterns. Help me to do better. Lead me away from it. Help me with this. Whether this be resisting that same temptation over and over again, help me with that resistance. Help me to catch it quicker. And when I catch it, take and help me to run away from it quicker. Flee from it. Make me like Joseph busting out of Potiphar's house when the wife is trying to get, get me into bed with her, and I take off so quick that she has my coat in her hand because I have to run away sometimes from this temptation. 
Because if you entertain it for a second, there's a real good shot you're slipping. Help me, Father. Help me to resist this temptation. Lead me away from it. Deliver me from that evil that is there. I need you. I need you. I want purity. I want holiness in my life. Deliverance. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. To me, we go right back into worship again. You're the king. You're in charge. Everything that's going on in my life, there's a reason that I'm here. It's for your glory, God. Not for mine, not for my personal goals, not for everything. It's for your glory for, through your power. How long? Forever. You don't get vacation from holiness. He draws us to continue to just grow more and more as a discipleship. And this little part here is my favorite part. Amen. It means so shall it be. Every time that you end a prayer with in Jesus' name, because we're to pray in Jesus in the name of Jesus, which we are right here because we're claiming God is our Father through Jesus Christ, we're praying his name. And then you say Amen. You're saying, Whatever I just prayed in your will, it's done. It's happening. So shall it be. So why did Jesus tell us all this? I'm convinced. Convinced. That there's elements of this prayer that you and I probably oftentimes skip, don't think about. Maybe we're in a place that we forget to pray, and if we do pray, we kind of get to that point of God help me with this, God help me with that, God help me with this, God help me with that, and we come with like our list of needs, which he wants to hear, by the way, which he is concerned about, by the way. But there's a deeper prayer life that some of us can have if we follow these elements. Work with me, if you will, and just entertain me for just a few moments. If we just prayed like Jesus asked us to pray. Dear Daddy. My Daddy. The one who loves me. More intimately than anyone else could possibly even come close to being able to do so. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the creator of all things that I breathe and see and experience around me. And you are mindful of me. I love you. You are God. Go ahead and put the whole list up if you would, Josh. We'll keep all this together and then we'll come back into that scripture. Father, I know you love me so much that I can completely and totally lean into you. Whatever you want. Whatever you have for me today. There's things going on at work. There's things going on with the family. I don't know how I'm going to deal with them. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills, Father, but your will be done. I know you've got this. I don't know how the provision is going to come, but I'm going to do whatever you call me to be so I can be the most diligent worker, I can be the most diligent savior, whatever the case may be. But I'm going to go as far as I possibly can through my actions as I follow you, God, to the point that nothing else can I do. And then that's when I'm going to see your miracle. That's when you're going to come through with the stuff that I can't see and I don't know what's going to happen because I know you're going to provide. And so I follow you. I do whatever you call me to do, Lord. You mutter it just like you do in heaven. I'll do it here. I'll follow you. For you are my provision. You are my strength. I know this because you died for me. I know this because you've already have kept from withholding everything you could possibly, possibly withhold from me. You have proven yourself, Father. Just like the scribes of the New Testament, when they would talk about your love, they couldn't mention it without talking about your sacrifice your love, your grace, 
your mercy. And may I not keep it to myself, but may I give it to others. As I pray to you about all the things you have done for me, and I pray about all the things that you have given to me, Lord, I am very mindful of how much I fall short. But it's through your forgiveness I can stand before you now. And it's through your power that I can forgive this person, that person, yesterday, 20 years ago. Through your power, I can have forgiveness. And as I move forward from this place, I know I've come back with a new beginning, a new place. As I get up off of my knees, it's gone. Everything that I got on my heart as I went down, it's now gone. Lead me in such a way that I don't go back. You brought me into freedom yet again. May I not go back to bondage. But may I continue to walk with you, continue to be holy in you. Because you are so wonderful, so powerful, so in charge, and so intimate. I never have to worry about a moment being missed because you are forever. And so I claim these things. I hold on to these things. And the power of the name of Jesus Christ, victorious over sin and death, victorious over Hades, I will follow you. So shall it be. When's the last time you prayed like that? And that's not a guilt question. Trust me, it's not a guilt question. There's times I'm lucky to get in a quick prayer of Jesus, and he wants to hear that too. But there's something wrong if my heart is not to the point that I just want to talk to him and love him and experience him and just breathe him. Let's go back to that scripture, if you would, Josh. James 4, he says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Get the forgiveness in there. Get these things in there. But draw near to God. And there's a promise in the scripture. Guess what it is? If you draw near to God, I'll draw near to you.